MainGallery.com. Hi, I'm Don Matheson, host of Vantage Point, heard every other Friday at 1 o'clock here on WIOX Roxbury. Live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20. And everywhere at WIOXradio.org. Okay, you're listening to WIOX Community Radio Live and Local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM, MTC Cable TV Channel 20 on the campus of SUNY Delhi at 107.5 FM, worldwide at WIOXradio.org, and on any mobile device radio FM app. This is From the Forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Zane, how's it going? Good, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm all right. What have you been up to? Uh, what have I been up to? Yeah. This weekend I was uh, picking some berries I found. What kind of berries? Uh, first some blueberries. They were ripe, pretty delicious. And then I found some blackberries, which uh, I was pretty excited about. Went back there and harvested about a quart of them. Yeah, I guess the high bush are starting to ripen. I was picking them over in Gramsville. Right? A friend of mine was uh, showing me some of those. And uh, black caps are out. And uh, what else is that? Black, uh, red raspberries are out. Mulberries are past, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Those are one of my favorites. Kingston is the mecca of wild mulberry. Yeah, you were telling Although me. Although I hear Long Island and New York City is pretty good for that, too. And uh, maybe Maryland. I don't know. We'll find out from our next speaker here shortly about that. But uh, what else? What else have you been up to? Anything else? Nothing else to report. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, Fair enough, Zane. <laughs> Well, anyway, we got Chris Bloom here. He's going to talk tonight about bats as biomonitors of heavy metals in urban areas. Chris, how's it going? It's going good. Um, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. And um, first of all, just introduce yourself. Your father, Charlie, we've had him on quite often. Uh, he's an arborist. Talk about various arboricultural things. Sure is. Yeah, he um, 
he's the one that kind of gave me the idea that I should pop on the show, um, listen to a couple episodes. I know he talked about like trees and talked a lot about apples. That's kind of his thing, apple tree, um, all that stuff. I guess you could say that apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Is that a bad joke? That's a bad joke to start. No, we'll take it. We'll take what we can get. We'll take what we can get. What got you into uh, the study of biology? I, 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 you go to University of Maryland at Baltimore, or do yeah. I have that right? Nope. Yeah, you got it right. Um, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Um, so it's right outside of Baltimore City. Um, it's in Catonsville, um, Maryland. Um, what got me into bats? Yeah. Let me let me start by hmm. so bio. I, I would say I just always had an interest in. In wildlife in general, um, but also living in like areas such as uh, from New York and then living in Philadelphia. So these are like very um, urbanized areas, but there's still wildlife there. And I've always just been interested in how the two humans and and wildlife connect. So that kind of that kind of that interest kind of led me here. Some of my favorite areas for trees is 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 urban areas. You know, in between the parking lots. There's some awesome uh, diversity of trees and shrubs sometimes growing in there, man. Absolutely. Like, if you just take a look and just pause, like, yeah, uh, nature's everywhere, <laughs> even in urban areas, even if, like, parking lots, um, basketball courts, um, all these spots, they have it. So you just take a look, and that's what I've been able to, to enjoy. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So you live down in Maryland right I, now, but you're up for the summer because it's... I do, yeah. So I'm up, I'm up for a couple of days. Um, yeah, I, I'm down in Baltimore. Um I actually, I've bounced around, so New York to Philadelphia, then I was in Virginia, down in Alexandria and Arlington, and now I'm in Baltimore, um, finishing up this project, um, yeah, getting to learn the, get to learn the area. And this is a master's degree in GES, what does that mean, GES? Yes, so um, GES is Geography and Environmental Systems. Um, it's a cool program, um, and it looks to bring something like me, who has an interest in wildlife, also um, with different kind of social sciences um so looking how a looking how that geography and humans um connect like on a landscape and that can be like conservation issues or that can be um just different issues in like a urban area so my my research is focused on wildlife but there are plenty of people in my department that have various different um ideas for their project no kidding. So, all right. So this study you're doing mm-hmm. is called Investigating the Distribution of Heavy Metal Contaminants in Baltimore City Using Native Chiroptera. Chiroptera, yes. Species as biomonitors. It's a so mouthful. What's chi- is that the genus? That's, yeah, that's of bats. Um, so, yeah, I tried to be professional and, like, kind of, like, official about it when I wrote it in my proposal. Um, but, yeah, basically this is just looking at heavy metal pollution um, or pollutants, um, if that's, you know, simpler. Um and using bats as a way of monitoring in a city. Um, so I'm in Baltimore, so that's where the study is happening. But, yeah, you mentioned why interest in biology, but why bats? Why bats again? You, I think you were talking about that. Man, yeah, so yeah. bats, um, so I've done projects with various different wildlife, and I feel like bats are always kind of, there's like misconceptions, or at least there's ideas, there's beliefs about bats. Um, bats can be scary. They come out at night. You don't see them. You don't really get to hear them that much. Um, so there's not a lot known about them. Um, and especially in urban areas, you might not think about them because they come out at night, but they're there and they can tell us a lot about like the cities that we're in and, um, you know, about our, our relationship with the ecosystem. So I thought bats were understudied. Um, there's a lot of like bird studies and different kind of like, um, freshwater or marine studies in the area. And I just wanted to do something different. And I felt like bats looking at the literature and just going through the data and research, 
can provide a lot of dissimilar information um, in that way. So I was like, hey, give it a shot. They can provide, um, because of like what they eat and um, the insects and how that bioaccumulates in their body, um, it can tell us a lot about our, our habitats or human homes. Kind of bats. So right now, um, we have six species of bats in Baltimore that have been recorded. So I'll go down the list. <laughs> we got Big Brown. Um, there have been some Little Brown sightings. There is Eastern Red, Tricolored, Silver-Haired, and Hori, which is my favorite species of bat because they're adorable. Oh, if, you, yeah. if anyone out there gets a chance to look up a Hori bat, it's H-O-A-R-Y. has a little mane. It looks like a lion, like a sky lion. No kidding. So those are the six that we have right now. Hopefully there's more. There might be um, some evening bats. Um, so I'm, I'm doing this number of ways to um, check for that. So I'm looking. That's an actual bur- a bat, an evening bat. Evening bat, right? Seems like there's also like a gray bat. Seems like a simple name for it, an right. evening bat. Um, but yeah, they're they're out there. Um, um, so I'm hoping to find them. And there's a number of ways that I can go about doing this. I can either go to bat box or just look out in the city and find them, or I can put up monitors, which is what one way I'm doing acoustic monitors to kind of listen to see what species are out there and identify them that way. Are there? Uh, uh reasons why an urban habitat might be better or worse for a bat? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, Zane. Hey, <laughs> no, that's I'm a good question. To learn. I don't know. Um I would say so bats are urban adapters. So they have found ways to adapt to human um, human settlements. So one of my favorite ways that I love talking about is the fact that like since bats eat moths and mosquitoes and those insects are usually attracted to like the lights that we have on like poles and stuff around. Bats have adapted to their behavior to hunt at those locations. So I wouldn't say that they're better equipped um, than other species, but they've learned to adapt to be in the city. And um, that's why a lot of people might find them in like an attic or in their house at time from time because they're there. Um, we just don't think about them. Um, and I just, again, I just think they're criminally understudied. So I was like, oh, if they're in the city, why not give them a shot? All right. Yeah. What about heavy metals? You got some kind of interest in heavy metals, or that just go along with the uh, bats? So that's actually kind of so. When I was coming up with this this study, um, I was actually down um, doing a different kind of study on Chincoteague Island, um, working with a uh, company or I guess an organization called Sharp, um, and they were looking at salt marsh habitats of avian um, species down there, um, some bird species, salt marsh and seaside sparrows. I'll give a shout out to University of Delaware and Arthur Sanchez, who was the lead on that. Um, so I was coming up with this study, and I'm down there on the island, not much going on. And the lab that I am in at UMBC looks to combine, um, looks to look at heavy metal pollution um, in these areas. So the way that my advisor is using it, they're using spider webs, the webs of orb weaver spiders, I believe. They're dense enough to collect atmospheric pollution. So from there, I was like, all right, like if they're doing a study like that, maybe I can kind of be in the same line. So I went ahead and I was like, all right, like I went through the books and I was like, what, what species out there can tell us about heavy metal uh, contaminants? So I went with bats and since in my lab, they're looking at heavy metals that are all around the city and how they impact humans. I was like, all right, like uh, I'll stay with those. So the ones I'm looking at are lead, chromium, cadmium, arsenic, those things. Um, they have an impact on human health um, and they're prevalent in a city like Baltimore. Yeah. So why, why are they prevalent? Just from various land uses or industry? Industry. Industry is big. So Baltimore is a city that's been going through a lot of changes recently. Um, it's actually a shrinking city, and industry continues to move in. Um, and with this industry, um, just 
certain areas are being more polluted than others. And then also, because the city's shrinking, a lot of these abandoned houses or abandoned apartments are left, and then they're being demolished. And the way that they're being demolished, instead of, like, being taken or destroyed in certain ways, they're just being, like, broken down completely. And then this releases a lot of those heavy metals into the soil. Yeah. And then that kind of, yeah, that kind of goes into, like, what I'm looking. So these heavy metals then drop into the soil. And a lot of these um, now vacant lots are being used as gardens or farms by the people that are still there. Um, and that draws mosquitoes, and those mosquitoes and um, insects that breed in, like, contaminated soil or water, they're then eaten by the bats. Um, that's their food source. And then those um, heavy metals then build up in the bats over time. Yeah. Bioaccumulate. Bioaccumulation. Exactly. Bioaccumulation. Yeah. Bringing out some of my bio words. From, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that allows me, I can, so the way I'm doing it, and I guess I should mention, is I'm looking at poop. Um, Poop and hair, to be particular, um, allow us or give us the information that I'm looking for. So I can take those, collect a decent amount of samples of fecal samples, and then I can take them to the lab and look at the heavy metals that way. All right. Yeah. Weird. I'm honestly just driving around the city looking Guano, for Guano, right? Guano, yes. Bats get their own special They got name a special for, word for it, right? For right. Yeah. It's mostly good fertilizer, no? Yes. I know a lot of people use fertilizer. Um, people asking you for it? People do, <laughs> people do ask me for it. And... I, once this study is over, I'm giving out bat boxes. So if people put up a bat box and they get bats, once my study is done, they can have all the poop they want. Yep, they you know, we get asked uh, Catskill Forest Association about bat boxes. Do you yeah. have any advice on that? Bat boxes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what I mean, kind of might, There might be some differences between Maryland and here, you know, being south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think yeah, installation, where to put it, how to put it, what kind of box works. Material. Doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've been using a lot of wood boxes, and I've really just been putting them on buildings if I can, either south or, like, southeast. Um, those seem to be the best way, just because of, like, the way that the sun goes and whatnot. Um, keeps it, like, hot at the right time, but also not too hot. Yeah. Um, and I've been putting them on buildings. There has been some, I guess, going through, like, reading. Um, some people say, don't put it on a tree. Um, but I, I think a tree works fine, especially in an urban area. They say not a tree because of, like, predators. Um or squirrels can get in there, they'll climb up a tree and get into the box, or maybe, like, owls or something, it makes it easier for them. Yeah. I'm not sure yet. Um, I've been trying buildings in the city, there's just so many of them, just putting it the right direction. Um, but trees might work just fine, too. I mean, I know up here they, they roost under shagbark hickory bark. Yeah, yeah. So... Do you know which kind? Is it like shagbark get, hickory? No, I mean, do you get like eastern oh, reds? I don't know. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I could definitely there definitely are bats that like just go in those cracks and just kind of hang out there. I think trees are fine. Um, so yeah, I, I would say about ten feet up, ten to twelve feet up. Just yeah. put it like south, maybe east. Um, I don't know if there's any way to attract the bat to a box though, and that has been kind of the issues. So I have monitors in locations. So I usually put up a monitor. And then I'm like, all right, like, I'm getting all sorts of activity. So now I want to put up a bat box to provide habitat and also, like, an easing roosting site so I can collect the guano. Haven't found a way to get the bats to, like, you know, go to the house for sure. Some of the bats have taken. It does take time. They just have to find it. And once they set up shop there, um, hopefully it will be, like, a continuous thing. So, yeah, it might just take a couple years, a couple seasons. Yeah, I mean, I got a cheap bat box for Christmas Mm -hmm. and uh, threw it up on my sugar house. And when your father came over to install a CB tower. Oh, yeah, Yeah, that sounds like um, it. There was bats in the box. No way. I can't tell you what kind of bats. Okay. But there was was two or three bats in there. Nice. And that's why we didn't uh, put it right in the middle of the tower. We... Okay. We put it to the side because we didn't want to disturb the bats. You're a good guy. 
Some people would have been like, get that out of here. I mean, I don't know why you would put a back ox up immediately. I mean, like, they would put them up and then be like, oh, no, I got bats. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I never saw any physical guano at the bottom of it, but they okay. were in there. I mean, you could visibly see them. Yeah, yeah. So I've been trying to find – I have a little method of collecting the guano. I don't want to put it in there. I have this little, like, PVC pipe thing that I just kind of stick in there. Mm-hmm. Once the bats start using it, it will collect. They'll, like, drop it, and I can just pop it out without disturbing the bats. I don't want to put it in there now if they're looking for a roost because I don't want them to be like, oh, what is this? This isn't natural, and then, like, fly away. Um, but, yeah, um, just trying to collect as much poop around the city. Um, no kidding. Yeah, so you yeah. mentioned setting up these boxes to attract bats, but you also mentioned monitoring them. How yes. do you monitor? So I have bats? two ways of doing it. One is a bit more fun than the others. Um, so the passive monitors I have are these little bat boxes, or well, they're little boxes. They look like camera traps that you might put on a tree. Um, but instead, they collect the acoustic data from the bats. So basically, just like a voice that any of us has, um, hearing my beautiful voice over the radio, you'd be like, oh, that's Chris. Bats have it similar, but... Um, Instead of, you could tell the species. So based on the shape, the sound, the frequency of these calls, you can be like, oh, this is like a big brown bat, or this is an eastern bat, or something like that. Um, So I put those up, maybe for like three or four days, come back, collect the data, and then I also, and I'll I'll pitch this also, I'm kind of plugging my other part of my project. I have a website called Rhythms of the Night. It's a great name. Um, And I put the data that I get from there onto it. So it's like a citizen science project. So anyone that's interested in learning about bats in Baltimore, they don't have to be from Baltimore, but if they're interested in learning about urban ecology, urban bats, they can hop on and they can help me identify these species and have a little training program to walk them through it. Um, So that's the one way. That's the passive monitors. The other ones, there's active monitors, and these are like handheld devices. So I have a couple that go into your phone, um, and I think it's through Wildlife Acoustics is the company. but yeah, go into your phone, and then at night, you just kind of put your phone up in the air, and it collects the samples, it amplifies it, so you can actually hear the clicks. Because most of these frequencies, the calls, um, you wouldn't be able to hear normally. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Can, you, can, can you just hear them? You can't. You can't. When they're doing the echolocation for hunting, um, most species, you can't. Big brown, you might be able to hear, like, just the tip of the range. Um, but no, normally you wouldn't be able to hear it. But these devices can, and then they'll identify it for you. So they'll give a pop-up and be like, oh, this is a hoary bat just flew over your head. Um, and then they'll show you, like, what the call is. And the calls are beautiful. They're just beautiful, like, fast clicks. Um, so, yeah, those are the two that I've been using. Um, they're lots of fun. Um, kind of expensive, but I think it's worth it, especially if you're, like, into bats or just, like, ecology. Just putting that up. It's pretty great. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest, and tonight's topic is bats as biomonitors of heavy metals in urban areas with Chris Bloom.
Holy cow. Uh, that's Chicago, and this is From the Forest, every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic is bats as biomonitors of heavy metals in urban areas with Chris Bloom. So, Chris, bioindicators. What is a bioindicator? We kind of covered it, but let's define that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, bioindicators um, are species that we can use that to provide information um, about um, our environment, um, I guess, from like a human perspective. Um, so they can give us um, information about heavy metal pollution. Um, some people use it for like water quality, um, but it's like an ecosystem, ecosystem service that they use or we can use to tell us more information about the health of our, um, our ecosystem. Are other animals being used as biomonitors bio for heavy metals or no? Ooh, that's a good question. So when I was coming up with this study, um, birds were actually one of the ones that we kind of thought about. Um, you can collect like a feather sample and then um, run a test on that, and that can also give inf um, information. I mean, they're, they're in the city. Um, I guess that would be more for atmospheric pollution instead of where bats are like um, eating and then it's bioaccumulating in them. Um, it would be a little bit different, different test um, than that. Because um, the birds, it would just be on their feathers you'd be looking at. So it would be more of an atmospheric thing. But, yeah, um, this also, um, some of the people in my department are looking at um, using oysters as a way of looking at um, the health of the Chesapeake and the harbor. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a wide variety of species that can be used to give the information. Do bats work well as uh, bio indicators or biomonitors because of their narrow range? Like, they uh, have a very narrow range so you can... Uh, see what bioaccumulation data they have and narrow that down to a specific area? So, um, yeah, so bats basically hang out. Like, they'll find, like, a spot, and they'll basically just eat from there. Um, so then I, that allows me, actually, to look at certain areas and compare. So if I find bats are roosting in one spot, I know that they're usually eating and, like, um, hunting in a particular area, a couple miles. So then I can look at the... Um, the demographic data from there and then I can compare it to another like roosting spot and be like alright so bats here are eating this and this is what pollution looks like here based on the bats and then I can compare it there and be like alright so this is the difference there so it definitely does help me um, especially since bats in urban areas they don't like migrate like out they don't go to um, like caves there's no caves in Baltimore so for the most part you'll just find them um, hiding in buildings or attics usually nearby their roosting um, their summer roosting site in the winter so their summer roosting sites are kind of close to their hibernacum or, or their overwintering area? Yeah, usually. They might be a little further out. In um, urban areas? In urban areas, yeah. It seems that way, especially with the big brown. The big brown definitely loves to just hang out, like, right nearby. Um, so just find an attic or maybe, like, a hollow-out tree. Um, they're a little bit sturdier or, I guess, hardier. Um, so when the winter comes, they're not really, really looking for a place to move. They're just hanging out nearby. Okay. And, oh, one more thing on the metals. Yeah. You know, what are the heavy metals that you're most looking at, I guess? So, yeah, so lead, um, arsenic, cadmium, 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 and chromium are the ones that um, in particular are coming up. And these are the ones that we're finding most in these areas um, that have been, that have demolished buildings or have high amounts of industry or traffic. Those are the ones that keep coming up. Um, so those are the ones I'm focusing my study on, those four. Okay. So let's go into the objectives. Sure. You know, so there's three objectives, and uh, the first one is understand if native bats can be used to monitor the distribution of heavy metals in urban areas. And that's your hypothesis, right, or whatever? Uh, yeah. That you're going to... 
That's uh, that's yeah. what I hope to figure out. Yeah, huh. um, it's been done before um, in other places. Um, I'm trying to see if in an urban area. So a lot of them have been done in more rural areas, but in a city um, with so many different people and so many different um, anthropogenic changes, um, such as Baltimore, um, I'm hoping to see if bats provide good information. So like as you said, their narrow range. Um, does that help me provide the information? Um, the food that they're eating, would I even be able to find sources of contamination later on? So I'm hoping that maybe, hey, if I find out bats here are eating, they're like really contaminated in this location, let's say West Baltimore, really contaminated. And I could go through and I'm hoping that later on I can be like, okay, so bats here, really contaminated, eating lots of mosquitoes. Where are these mosquitoes breeding? They're breeding in the water. Okay, so maybe I can find a source from there. Um, it's going to be a more detailed study, but that's the gen that's what I'm thinking about next. So this is I hope this is the setting the groundwork for that. Yeah, and there's probably not many studies. There's probably more studies I would think outside of cities. Outside in of cities, general. In general, yeah. Because yeah, people they want to study it outside cities. A lot of people, but yeah, I think you're on to something. You know, yeah, not, it's understudied. I think so. I think I think urban areas are recently being tapped for this but like for so long it, that just hasn't really been um i guess when you think of nature you think of like catskills or you think somewhere far away that you have to hop in your car and drive to um but i i really want to show people that no this is like here this is in the city um and what we do here impacts the wildlife and it has far-reaching implications um so yeah that's what i'm trying to do i think zane well it's interesting i mean these bats are kind of pointing you in directions the environment where you can find these sources and um, see what kind of uh, uh, heavy metals are there in their different proportions. Um, what what kind of uh, toxicological data do you get out of this? Like what, how do you measure toxicity in a bat? So yeah, so <laughs> once I get these guano samples, and there are metrics, and I'm going to be honest, I don't have all the metrics yet. Um, it's really just going through, since this is like understudied, um, I'm really trying to find points of comparison. So there are a couple of studies that have happened, not again, not like in cities, but in small communities. Um, and then once I find out, all right, so this is, this is the threshold of contamination, what we consider contamination. I would then go and collect these guano samples as I have. So I literally have a fridge that's filling up with guano from um, spots I have. Um, and also hair samples, if I can get those, those are a little bit more difficult to get. Um, but the guano, and then I can do something called mass spec spectrometry. Um, and that basically just looks to see what metals are in, um, are coming up in the sample in what concentration. And then I can break it up, each one, like, all right, so this is lead, and this is coming up in this concentration, arsenic, not so much. And then from there, I can kind of quantify exactly what is being seen and where. So this would be your objective two, which is efficacy of non-invasive sampling. So this would be what you're doing. We need to go over this non-invasive versus invasive sampling. Yes, that's kind yes. of something you're doing that's new. So you, you decipher that? Yeah, so um, non-invasive versus invasive. So the reason why I picked guano in here is because, um, as most people probably know, bats are already having a rough time. Um, other than not being studied much, um, there are like issues such as disease, white-nose syndrome being one of the key ones that have really decimated bat populations. So going out and doing my study and then finding ways to just take normal tissue samples I felt like was counterintuitive um, to damage the populations. I was like, I don't want to go out and take a wing puncture or like I don't want to have to take a liver sample from this bat species. So I was like, okay, what can provide similar data um, 
to those samples. And again, lots of reading, going through, a lot of dead ends. But guano kept coming up, as well as hair, and that seems to provide very similar data to what's been seen before in tissue samples. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess to answer your question, um, invasive would be going in and extracting something. So taking, um, going in and taking a tissue sample or puncturing the wing and taking a tissue sample that way. Non-invasive, they just something that they gave off passively. Bats are, they're going to poop. They eat a lot, so they're going to poop a lot. Um, and then I can just come and I can just uh, take it away and then take it to my lab and do it. And I felt like that was the best way to do this project. So you're looking to show if those non-invasive mes- methods are uh, equal to or or better than exactly. the invasive methods. Exactly. Yeah. So there again, there are some studies, um, and a lot of, and I will say, a lot of the studies that I have seen, while they do take liver or they might take a brain sample from a bat, some of those bats are already dead. Um, they do find bats that have died from like maybe a wind farm or from other courses and take it that way. But then some studies also just they take what they need um, for the research. Um, I want to see if the way that I go about it, non-invasive, um, will provide similar data to the other studies that have, I guess, are the ones that are more pointed to as giving concrete toxicological data. Right, and there's not not many wind farms probably near urban areas. No, no, exactly, exactly. So I have to get creative about how I get this. Yeah, Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And they they do those invasive methods is from the what, the kidney, the liver, and the brain? Brain, yeah, yeah. Um, And, yeah, that seems to provide a lot of the studies – if they're looking for toxicological data and they want to use bats, because bats have been used as bioindicators before in rural areas, that seems to be the way they go about it. So if they can, if it's collateral and they can go and take it that way um, from a wind farm, um, they do it that way. Um, But if not, you know, sometimes they will have to sacrifice some bats for it. Um, I'm hoping that, um, you know, maybe put out a call that maybe that's not the best way to do it and then we can go non-invasive and it'll provide similar data. Are there any advantages or disadvantages of each type of sampling? Man, let's see. Um, You would need a decent amount of guano to provide a similar sample. Also, I mean, so bats use the same roosting spot um, once they set up. But unless you're tagging them, you wouldn't really know if it's the same bat going to the same roosting spot over and over. So maybe there could be some bias in the samples as you're collecting guano. That could be from a bat that went to a different roosting site. so yeah, um, also finding roosting sites <laughs> in in Baltimore in an urban area. Um, I'm putting up bat boxes and I'm I'm getting creative about how I find them, um, but it's not easy. Um, and also the spots that I am finding, they do give me some decent guano, but um, not as much as I would love to have. So yeah, um, I would say those are disadvantages. Um, Is but it I really hard to to find places to put boxes up as far as like dealing with the city or whatever? Honestly, I really haven't. So I've been able to. I've working with a lot of farms, gardens around the city, and they've been more than welcoming. Um, I show up, and I'm just like, hey, this is the study I'm doing. It's not only going to help the bats, but it's also going to give us information about the community and the people there. And they're very willing. They're like, hey, yeah, bat box? You're giving out a bat box? Sure, I love it, Um, which I wasn't expecting. And so all these green spaces um, all around the city not only are separated enough to give me different kind of socioeconomic data and demographic data, um, but, yeah, it's been easy enough to just put up a couple boxes. So usually what I do is I go to a spot. I'm like, all right, this should have bats, but what kind of bats are here? Then I'll throw up a, a monitor or maybe I'll hang out for the evening and just kind of put my, my phone to the sky and listen to the bats. And if they come out, I'm like, cool, there are bats here. Let's throw up some boxes and see what we get. Um, even so, even if I'm throwing up boxes, I'm also, like, looking. Um, 
I'm like, all right, maybe there's a house here or there's a bridge over here that they might be using. Um, so that's how I'm kind of going about it, trying to find pavilions or any areas. So it's twofold, boxes and... Have you know. ever thought of uh, contacting any type of animal control uh, companies and seeing... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that is a good question. Um, I have... Um, some get back, some don't. Some, I would say for the most, I mean, they're like, who's this weird guy that's calling me up looking for bad poop right now? I've got time for this. <laughs> some have been very welcoming, and they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, for the most part, it's really just been me, boots on the ground. But I, I've been thinking about um, also reaching out to, like, rehabilitation centers. Um, if they keep a log of where a bat came from, maybe a bat crashed and, they like, someone took it, call them up and be like, hey, like do you know where this bat came from? They're like, yeah, this came from, like, you know, this street, West Baltimore. And I'm like, cool, all right. Like, do you have any samples, or can I get a hair sample? And that's how I've been really going about it. Also, I don't know if anyone, like, iNaturalist, the app, has been actually really helpful, which is another way to, a cool way to get the community involved, because people post pictures of bats and wildlife they see. So they snap a pic, and then <laughs> Chris is watching iNaturalist, and I'll see, and I'll be like, hey, this, post and this person posted they found a roost. Um, you know, in the harbor, they found it here in like uh, South Baltimore in Curtis Bay, and I'm like, all right. And then I'll either send them an email, and if they get back to me, cool, I'll go to the site, or I just it gives you a little map of like around where they're at, and then I just go there myself, see what I find. Chris, like, what's um when you think of you know in an urban area, mm-hmm. what's perfect? What you think of perfect bat habitat? I guess perfect not bat. perfect but you know you're like okay this, this is battable there's yeah. gonna be some bats <laughs> um really all right so it's been kind of wild because all right so in baltimore if i'm seeing a lot of like abandoned buildings or a lot of like vacant lots i'm like okay there's some like there's some this you know potential here and then i might walk around mosquitoes mosquitoes will give it a will be a uh, giveaway. If I walk around, I'm seeing mosquitoes all around, and or bugs, or if there's like a little farm, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I walk, and then yeah, usually like I'll hang out at night. Maybe I'll throw up their monitor if I can't hang out, like stay the night. If I can, then I'll just sit there. Um, but usually that, I would say mosquitoes. Um, if I see a lot of sitting water in the spots, and then urban areas, that happens. Um, either it just sits in like uh, what are the potholes, there'll be sitting water there, or trash also. Um, can be can i guess invite insects like mosquitoes like if there's trash water bottles standing water sits and then mosquitoes come from it and then you see bats um yeah and then if there's like a little forested patch nearby those are the three things i would say so insects forested patch and then vacant lots zane you're gonna say something um well i I see your third objective here uh does toxicological data gained by bat biomonitoring correlate with socioeconomic groups. What are you looking to study there? So I'm looking, so Baltimore City has a pretty pretty long history of like redlining and um, poverty in some, as, in some places and even like racism. Um, and I want to see if looking at places that are particularly polluted, if that kind of correlates or if there's a connection with the communities that live there. So if I'm looking at a minority community and then I'm getting bats, so another thing about like cities is normally there's something called a luxury effect, which is biodiversity kind of um, connects to um, the affluence or um, luxury of the area. Bats don't really seem to care about that. They seem to just go wherever. If there's trees, they'll make it work. If there's vacant lots, they'll make that work. Um, so it's been really, really, really helpful in that way. Um, 
So I think I, Detroit oh, might be similar, you know. It's, yeah, similar, similar idea. So, yeah, I'm trying to use, like, bats as a way of connecting. All right, so, like, this group of people or this group, this demographic lives here. And then I can look at bats and be like, all right, so this area is polluted or it's not polluted. Um, and why is that? And it kind of makes, it gives it a community edge to it. So, so yeah, you're saying bat habitat is pretty broad. Mm-hmm. So to look at what is bioaccumulated in certain bat populations yep. gives you some indication broadly of what's going on in a kind of a narrow area. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so um, yeah, if I'm looking at it, like if bats are in a narrow area and I'm looking at that area through this lens of wildlife, I can be like, hey, all right, so this is this area's experience more pollution than this area. And I can be like, all right, who lives here? And maybe understand better why pollution is it industry is it um is it trash is it just the vacant lots um why is this happening and i I find it so interesting that bats can provide so much information um to this level that i can like look at a bat (laughs) and know it's going to be here and it's going to give me information about the people and that's that's really the whole goal is tying in people and the wildlife that lives there yeah and i i guess you'd have to you know once you get this data on um heavy metals and then you try to put it towards socioeconomic. You have to be like, well, is it race? Is it just poor? Or is it both? Or exactly. is it, you know what I mean? It gets complicated. Exactly, it's it's so complicated. I'm I'm trying my hand at mapping, so I'm trying to like map my research points all over, over top these census tracts, and it's complicated. But it's like a it's like a mystery that I'm uncovering as as this Batman looking looking at the city. Um, it's cool. I like it a lot. Um. Yeah. yeah. As they say, you know, correlation isn't causation, but if you have a lot of evidence for correlation, mm-hmm. um, that's what science is all about. It points you in a strong direction. That's fair. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And I'm I'm hoping that at the very least, um, this kind of work, maybe someone else is interested. And if, depending on where my study leads, someone could be like, all right, so like we saw this, let's go deeper. And I'm, I'm hoping to get the community involved. Again, as I said, like the website, anyone can hop on and help me from the community. But I'm also having bat walks and just trying to get people interested from the community in this kind of thing. Um, and then hopefully it would be so cool if, like, some kid that, like, heard me do a bat walk and talk about this was like, okay, so this is what he found. I mean, I, I didn't even mention it, but my work that I'm doing is based on um, the work of another researcher. Her name is Dr. Elisiba Carpenter, and um, she works down at Masonville Cove in um, South Baltimore. Um, and she was the first person to really look at bats and um, what populations are in the city and how they connect to human habitats or human settlements. Um, so I'm following up on her work, and it would be great if someone wanted to take this deeper and follow up on mine. It's possible that bats could be healthier than I'm thinking about this a little more in urban areas <laughs> than out here in some way. You think so? Yeah, because... There's there's more dilapidated, more crevices, more surface area in those. Oh, I see. In those, if you have a shrinking city, I see what you're saying. Like Detroit or or uh, Baltimore, mm-hmm. there's so much more cover. Yeah. You know, as a forester's perspective or forest ecologist, some of the best habitat to me is is abandoned developments. Okay. They make they make some of the best habitat for sure. wildlife because there's a mixture of age classes, shade and tolerant plants. Wow. That you don't necessarily get in the forest preserve like the Catskill Forest Preserve. I mean, man, the best black caps of this day I ever picked was in an abandoned housing development in the town of New Paltz in Ulster County. And That's it was, so crazy. You know, and it's because they put the topsoil and just push it into a clump, and then stuff grew on that, <laughs> staghorn sumac, and then some trees, and then wow. black caps grew underneath that. And the deer were loving it, you know, ground nesting songbirds and galore. It just mimicked a fire or a clear cut. Wow. Yeah. It, it's so crazy to think about, like, 
biodiversity and you know in both like urban rural areas it's so neat and like just nature like finds its own way and it just makes it happen so it's cool to think about yeah there was a remember that remember that saying the article on um post-nuclear uh, like russia and stuff <laughs> they're yeah, like the chernobyl yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> becoming like awesome wildlife <laughs> right. habitat Absolutely. even though some yeah. of them are a little deformed but uh it yeah, becomes it, a case study for kind of end-of-the-world end of scenarios. Yeah. Like this is how the, the environment will respond. Um, the urban areas offer something else. It's that I think it's that heat island effect. Heat island effect, um, yes. I think bats tend to probably need warmer temperatures during the summer. And also I think that heat island effect benefits insects as well. So they Does. start to see that in urban areas, insects particularly, I read this once, spiders are actually getting incrementally larger due wow. to that effect year-round. Yeah, right. It's crazy. Urban yeah, urban areas are just wild. Um. thunderstorm warning for southwestern Delaware County, northwestern Sullivan County, until 7.30 p.m. At 6.43 p.m., a severe thunderstorm was located over Peabrook, or 16 miles south of Walton, moving east at 25 miles per hour. Hazard, 60 miles per hour in gusts and penny-size hail. Source, radar indicated. Impact, expect damage to roofs, siding, and trees. Locations impacted include Rockland, Fremont, Jeffersonville, White Sulphur Springs, Stalker, Hazel, Fifth Eddy, Livingston Manor, East Branch, and Roscoe. For sure. Interesting. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Tonight's topic is bats as biomonitors of heavy metals in urban areas with Chris Bloom. And I'll take a break. We've got some more questions for Chris.
song is out of control. This is From the Forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight's topic, Bats, is biomonitors of heavy metals in urban areas with Chris Bloom. Chris, we got a question off the air um, from a listener, and he asked, uh, while you're doing all that monitoring in Baltimore, Maryland, for bats, have you ever been mugged or assaulted? Oh, man. Uh, that's actually a good <laughs> it's actually a good question. Um, so, I, I haven't. Um, I'll start off by saying I have not. But it is something that feel, like factors into. So, like, when I go to a certain spot in the city, um, I never know what I'm going to come across. So, you know, they could be, it just could be a regular spot. There could be people hanging out in abandoned buildings. Um, so, <laughs> all my monitors are locked up in, like, these cases because I do, I do think about I'm like, all right, like, it is a city. People are definitely going to touch. They're definitely going to be like, what is that? Some people are like, are you listening to me? Like, it's just, like, here to listen to me. Right. So, I have this, I have these big heavy metal lock boxes that I put these in and I, I tie them off to a tree. No one's touched it. I haven't been mugged. I did find brass knuckles the other day at one of my monitoring sites. Um, yeah, yeah, nice, yeah, they were man. like big. Yeah, they were nice. They were definitely nice. Holy um, cow. But no, nothing yet. Knock on wood. Has <laughs> anyone called the cops on you? Be like, there's some guy, he's He's got a box. He's, he's a, got he's a, a terrorist. So that's, you know what? That's I think that's one of the things about cities and urban areas because, like, it's either, like, yo, like, what is that guy doing? Or, like, everyone's like, I don't care. What is, what is, he's just another weirdo. He's, what are you looking for? Poop? Uh, you're a weirdo. So, no, I, I've had some people just kind of look at me weird. Um, but, no, nothing yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> Knock on wood. All right. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it probably brings you into areas that are, you know, a little different. If they're in abandoned buildings and you have to go and monitor them, then, you know, that can that can be different. It can be different. <laughs> Definitely a different, like, the vibe that you weren't expecting, um, like, when you're doing wildlife research. But that's that's the beauty of it. it it's anything. That's, you know, um, field research um, in yeah. wildlife. It can be unexpected, whether it's the wildlife or the people, you know, it's all fun. The human wildlife. The human wildlife. <laughs> Definitely okay. human wildlife. Nice. Um Let's talk about rats real quick. So we talked about wood rats on the last show. What about rats in Maryland, man? Oh, what man. kind of rats you got there? Yo, the, I don't know what these these rats are. I've never seen a rat yet. You know that. You've never seen a rat? I have lived to 41, and I still have not seen a rat. Oh, then you got to come out to my place in Baltimore because you're definitely <laughs> <laughs> these Put a rats, leash around these things? Yo, uh, sometimes, like, oh, man, they're big, and they'll take swipes at you. I've, like, if you... <laughs> One time I was like walking through an alley trying to get to my apartment and it's dark and I just kicked something and it was like hefty. It was like kicking like a big football. But I heard the squeal, I saw the tail and I was like, Oh man, that's a rat. But they just come out, they don't care. They're like they they see themselves as pedestrians. Um that's the kind of rats we have. I don't know what their names are, they'll just be more rats and they're big. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I've seen them like, <laughs> like sometimes I'll watch out my window and I've seen a woman like walk by and a rat will come and just kind of do the like spooch your thing and then run back. They like heard of a a rat ball or whatever they're called. A rat ball. So apparently. Oh when, wait, are you talking about like what, when their tails get all connected? Yeah. What is that? A rat king? Yeah, like a rat king is yeah. basically what the hell this phenomenon. Are you guys talking about? Yeah. What yeah. the, somehow, how does it happen? Is it their tails just get like glued together, or is it just wrapped around each other and they become a giant rat ball as you yeah, said i think uh, it's a phenomenon where rats get into tight spaces many of them to get at a food source and i think their tails are so long that they get tied together right. so you have two rats tied together three rats tied together so eventually you have many rats in a ball and they end up just i don't know not being able to move and it's dying. like end of time stuff if you saw that you know but it's the result of just uh Damn. over 
popular if, rats, I guess. If that was in Baltimore, they'd be unstoppable. Like, they could get whatever they want. If there was a rat ball that came, like, barreling my way. Yeah, they call it rat kings, I guess. Rat yeah, kings, yeah. We got only about five minutes left. Uh, Chris, um, what's next with your bat project? What, what, what are you doing when you get back? When I go back, so, um, man, it's actually going to be pretty busy, but in, like, a fun way. So, again, I'm having all these, like, opportunities to, like, engage with the community and just, like... They eat this stuff up. They they don't know about bats, you know. No one no one really knows about bats. So I'm just going out. I'm having a bunch of bat walks. I'm going out with like kids. I'm doing ecology talks. Um, I think I have one at Hopkins coming up, which should be fun with some like college students. And I'm just going to talk about that. And then for my field stuff, I'm just going out to my farms and the gardens and anywhere I put up a bat box and I just check. Um, if I get some stuff, I collect the guano. Soon, as, as I get more guano, I'm going to start being in the lab. So me and my intern will hang out in the lab a couple of days and just kind of, we're going to have to mash the poop. <laughs> There's a certain way that you have to prepare it. Um, you just got to, you know, take out anything that's not needed. So like pebbles, twigs, anything like that, mash it up and then, uh, throw it in, do some science, do some chemistry, and then hopefully get some answers. Um, so again, I, I mostly just want to be out in the field, but um, I got to do I got to do a little bit of chemistry and some lab work soon. But yeah, that's that's mostly the direction for this project. After this is done, though, man, I would love to continue doing bats. I think they're so cool. Um, whether it's in Baltimore or somewhere else, I would love to keep this going. PhD, I would love to, you know, do something like that. Yeah. You want to be a bat doctor? Maybe a bat doctor. Bat doctor would be cool. Can I just be Batman? You could. Is that what you need? A PhD? Is that a in Batman? I guess you could. Oh man. <laughs> Man, let's just keep was, it going. That was pretty good. That was good. Uh, we we got We have to mention white nose syndrome. Uh, sure. I feel like for mentioning bats. You know, what, you have any updates on that or anything new with the with that disease? I guess you can explain to people who haven't uh, heard yeah, of it. Before. Yeah, white nose syndrome. So white nose syndrome is this uh, this fungal um, disease that's seen um, on bats. Um, it it manifests as this this fuzzy white nose on well it, on their nose. Um, it looks like they just had a crazy party and it just it's right on their nose and then they um what it does though it doesn't kill them directly but it causes them to wake up out of hibernation so it affects hibernating bats so big brown bats and stuff like that um and when they wake up bats their their metabolism means that they have to feed and they have to feed constantly but when they wake up during hibernation in the winter there's there's nothing there there's nothing there for them to eat um it might be difficult for them to get to a water source so they usually just starve and die um, and it's decimated populations. I, I believe it started at least here, um, well, in the United States. It started in New York. Was it 2003, 2004? Do I have it? That's, it sounds right. Sounds about right, yeah. yeah. And sounds about right. Last I heard, I think I think I had heard it was even, it had made its way as far west as um, New Mexico. Um, mm. It's just, yeah, it's going through. Um, the problem is that bats... Um, they don't have a lot of offspring when they reproduce. They usually have one or two pups. So when you know when they go into hibernation, they're in close proximity, and it just decimates a whole hibernaculum, and um, they really can't recover. Um, they don't, you know, they don't, they just don't have the capacity to do it. So when a bat wakes up too early from hibernation, what kind of issues happen there? Yes, yeah, so when they wake up from hibernation, yeah, they're just like um, they wake up and they're just they're ready to eat. They need insects. They need to go. Um, and it's just not there. There's nothing for them. They're, they're looking. Um, they're also looking for places to drink. It's cold, temperature, everything. Everything's just wrong with the situation. Right. So they just slowly starve. There's nothing for them. Um, and, I mean, that's so along with white nose syndrome. Um, 
I know there's like preventive measures to stop people from going into a place that bats might be roosting and waking them up. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's the kind of problems that they would have. Mm-hmm. Throws off their metabolism and metabolism, they spend yeah. energy too much energy. Exactly. Right? Yeah, they just they got to go, and there's nothing there to keep them going. No fuel. Yeah, we got about a minute left, and uh, you see any other animals on your horizon, or just bats? You going with bats? Man, so I've done, <laughs> I've done bees. I did a little bit of stuff with bobcats. Um, I did some birds. I'm on bats. What's a new bee animal? I don't know what it starts oh, with a bee. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of bees out there, though. We had a uh, Cass Urban Mead on our radio show, and there's oh. a lot more native bees than people think. Yeah, I love doing bees. I would, I, man, I would love to do some urban beekeeping. Um, Man, bees are so great. Bees are all, or uh, bats are also pollinators. They are, pollen. yeah, yeah. People don't consider that exactly. So not only are they good for like agriculture and the amount of pests that they eat, but like also the yeah the pollination that they do. They're, also, if you like tequila, <laughs> there's bats that you know help with that agave plant. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. But if you missed the show tonight's show is bats as biomonitors of heavy metals in urban areas with Chris Bloom and Chris. Thanks for coming on tonight. Thanks again for having me. It was great. All right, have a good night, and uh, see you next week with Mr. Mead, Mr. Gary Mead, every third Wednesday. Take care. Good night, everyone. Good night. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. And the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Chappie's Good Food on Main Street in Roxbury for lunch, dinner, and cocktails. And Chappie's sister restaurant, the Old Mill Steakhouse, just around the corner on Bridge Street. Chappie's open every day. The Old Mill Steakhouse, open on weekends. 607-326-7020 or chappiesgoodfood.com. Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center on State Route 10 in Walton for disposal and recycling. Open 7.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday. Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center information about materials and disposal fees at 607-832-5800. Or see the Delaware County Solid Waste Management Center link at WIOXradio.org. What the soap? WTS and Company in Prattsville for soaps and lotions made on site, locally handcrafted candles, pottery, jewelry, art, and gifts, and a hand-picked selection of books on homesteading, nature, and local history. WTS and Company in the Prattsville Plaza and online at whatthesoap.com. AMR Open Studios and the AMR Open Studios Tour. 32 artists, painters, sculptors, printmakers, photographers, and mixed-media artists open their studios and galleries to the public as they pull back the curtain on their creative process and display their art. Andy's Arkville, Denver, Fleischman's, Halkettsville, Margaretville, and Roxbury. AMR Open Studios Tour, Saturday and Sunday, July 30th and 31st. A complete AMR Studios tour map and details about the artist's at amropenstudios.org, amropenstudios.org.